0: Welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 24, Alma 13-16. through 16. Enter into the rest of the Lord. In this episode, Ryan has just really taken to making maps and they're so colorful and illustrative of Native American history, church history. Go ahead, just enjoy this podcast. This is everyone's sacred history.
1: Uh, okay, this is that we're going to go on over here to Alma chapter 14. Uh, this is one of my—it's a favorite story. Well, remember but it's one Alma of a sad thirteen one. is
0: great because that
2: talks all about the priesthood. Mm-hmm. You know, the priesthood oh, yeah. is so—if you will honor your priesthood and love, you'll read Alma thirteen. The way that they—they they lay it out of the importance of the priesthood and the higher order and so forth—I think is beautiful the way he yeah. puts it in thirteen. And he
1: talks about uh, you know King King uh, Melchizedek. Yeah, and so forth. It kind of brings all I that up it. into it. That the priesthood. Uh, it says, behold, the scriptures are before you. If you will rest them, it shall be to your own destruction. What do you think that means? To rest the scriptures? Ignore them. Uh, well, I think it's trying to twist rest. them. Rest. Yeah, twist them.
2: Yeah. I mean, when you wrestle, basically,
1: you're kind of you're grappling with it. You're trying to. Yeah. In other words, you're trying to figure out ways around. Yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and uh, and that's basically what. uh, That's not a word you think
2: of too much. W R E S T, resting the scriptures. Mm -hmm.
1: But yeah, but that's basically what does that mean? For example, um, it says in the in the scriptures that uh, that that Noah built an ark and that the that the waters of the flood covered the entire earth and all the high mountains and everything, right? And if you want to rest the scriptures and say, well, well, it never it said specifically Mount Everest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it <laughs> never said it, it covered Mount Everest. So we can say, well, we don't know. Maybe it only you know? went
2: up 20,000
1: feet. Or, or maybe it was just a, a uh, local flood. Yeah. And uh, he sailed across this lake. Yeah. It's that, probably a
2: myth because how silly is it to think of two by two and animals getting on aboard a big ship? Well, not only what that. What did you do with the dinosaur?
1: Where did all the water come from? Yeah. And where okay. did it all go? Gee. And all those answers can be had if you understand, if you believe first in the scriptures, right? And then the science, actually, the true science, actually backs those things up. Yeah, and you actually can see that in the Universal Model Project. So, uh, but behold, the scriptures—that's that, uh, we need to trust in God's words. Basically, this is from the Doctrine and Covenant section seventeen. This is on page two twenty-six in the Annotated Book of Mormon, and he—that is Joseph Smith Jr.—has translated the book. That is the Book of Mormon. This is the Lord speaking. Even that part which I have commanded him, and as your Lord and your God liveth, it is true. Then we have a couple of quotes by uh, President Ezra Taft Benson. He said, As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, we believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. That's from the Articles of Faith, uh, number 8. God has so declared it, so have its writers so have its witnesses, and so do all those who have read it and received a personal revelation from God as to its full truthfulness. In section 20 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord says that he gave Joseph Smith, quote, power from on high to translate the Book of Mormon, which contains the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was given by inspiration, unquote. And then a final quote here, uh, grave consequences hang in our response to the Book of Mormon, Those who receive it, saith the Lord, in faith and work righteousness shall receive a crown of eternal life. But those who harden their hearts in unbelief and reject it, it shall turn to their own condemnation for the Lord God hath spoken it. That's from the Doctrine and Covenants section 20.
2: One of the last things President Monson said, one of his last talks was to read the Book of Mormon and one of President Nelson's first was to read the Book of Mormon. I still remember President Benson being one who emphasized, read the Book of Mormon. I mean, we have been taught that so much, but that's why I love this book that helps me understand the true book of Jesus Christ, the true Book of Mormon, by little things that help me stop and think deeper as I go through. And that's why I love this so much. Mm -hmm. We didn't get to talk about the destruction of uh, Ammona I uh, and Alma 16 with my cool little map here. That Nancy's going to show to us. That's not in the annotated okay. Book of Mormon. Okay. It it shares with us that how the Lamanites began to march from. The, you know, they became so wicked, and this just shows you the direction. All the Lamanites came together at Ammonihah to thwart the Nephites. So the Nephites just went in and blew it up, and it it was done so well uh, that they, what they do to the last man on the tree, they fell the tree uh, with the the guy that uh, they chopped it down and he went over the, the cliff, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and that's kind of a story of the Iroquois uh, Indians with Daganowita oh, yeah. yeah. and how there was a great man who they cut the tree and it went down. But he ended up not down the falls. He ended up at dinner with them the next night as kind of a miracle story of what happens. And there's some truth in some of these origins of the mm-hmm. Iroquois and the natives that blend really nicely with the gospel and i wrote a blog about the felling of the tree that's why i bring that up cuz it was <laughs> something i just wrote about again it's it's fun yeah. every day
1: yeah three or four days ago about the the tree was felled or something like that that's awesome Hitting the map and so forth so let me let me just really quickly show you so this is the very rudimentary early stuff and then i'm going to have ryan kind of get into the uh, the more detailed stuff and then we're going to be able to talk more more precisely about where is actually Alma going, and and these different um, uh, journeys that he takes? So uh, we're going to go to uh, this is section number fifteen. This is actually from the Book of Mormon Evidence Five DVD series. This is uh, the 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 one that we're are, we're talking about just a little bit earlier. This is disc number five, Book of Mormon Lands Mapping the Book of Mormon. I'm not going to go in the detail. You have to get the disc to be able to to watch the whole thing. But let me just uh, just point out a few things. And friends, first off. When it came down to uh, Lehigh's ocean voyage, um, a lot of people have speculated that they landed on the Pacific coast, on the West coast. Uh, there's nothing that says uh, specifically that they landed on the West coast of the United States or or Central America. They didn't necessarily go across the Pacific. Uh, we believe they went across the Atlantic, and that actually matches up with the Earth's currents, the ocean currents and so forth, and that's actually been proven out by um, a ship expedition which now, it is not, brethren and sisters, it is not a question as to whether or not a ship could make it from the Saudi Arabian Peninsula to the United States. It's been done in a 600 B.C. replica ship called the Phoenicia Expedition. If you're not already familiar with that, there's this book right here. It's called Sailing Close to the Wind, or, or, or Sailing yeah, Close to the Wind. This is by Philip Beale. Um, he's a former um, navy naval, office. naval officer with the with the UK Navigation, basically, yeah. and uh, basically he had a, a 600 BC replica ship made of the Phoenician the Phoenician ship replica, and who were the Phoenicians? They were the ancient seafaring people that lived guess where, just west of Jerusalem.
2: And if you read my blog, <laughs> it's possible the Phoenicians are linked to the Cherokee.
1: Yes, exactly. So, so there's a lot of information about that. This is actually the first expedition. Um, if you if you've been watching our podcasts, I think it was the third or fourth um, um, podcast we had Boyd Tuttle, who actually was on the expedition that has now proven the Mulekite voyage is possible in a 600 BC replica ship, which Mulek was also leaving about the same time as Lehi to come to the to the New World. So they would have been using the same kind of ship technologies, uh, except for the Lord actually blessed Nephi with specific instructions on how to build his ship, but he didn't build an aircraft carrier and he didn't build a powered ship, it was a wooden sailing ship. And that's why this is a great analog to uh, Lehi's ocean voyage, but it actually, no one in the the world can now say that it's not possible that somebody could go from the Saudi Arabian Peninsula to the United States, because it's not only possible, it's now that been did. done it's it's end of story cool. there's there is no more discussion as to whether or not that could happen but the interesting thing is even the very best ancient maritime historians and and, and the people who are actually doing this they didn't even realize <laughs> what was going to happen it was a total uh shock to them they were actually scared to death you know for a, a good period of time because they were actually taken a um, way away from the, the route that they intended to go, and that route ended up taking them right over towards uh, America. Right. So it's just a, it's don't, a fascinating Don't thing. be
2: fooled by those that talk about the Bering Strait is how everything got over here. Man, there's maritime all over the place from the Atlantic. Yeah. It's just amazing.
1: P- people knew how to build a ship ever since basically Noah built one. For Although example, there are people I- who don't believe that Noah's Ark was even a real thing and that there was not really no Noah's art so so for example maybe flipping to this one i can just comment
2: briefly this slide simply shows the three routes of christopher columbus as he came over went close to or on san salvador Mm -hmm. mulek came across and landed in tampa florida just recently with this phoenician ship and look at the bottom one the one in blue is lehi's route and they all went through the same area in pink there i think that's an important line it's probably also where the city of enoch probably was right there that little gulf but everything kind of come up comes up right through there and we believe the mulekites probably ended up at the mississippi river and sailed all the way up the mississippi to Zarahemla without stopping the Des Moines yeah. Rapids stopped him
1: there, and we'll talk. In yeah, about we're going to talk more, more about that here in just a couple minutes. So basically, so if we go to the, uh, we, we actually, if we can uh, slide it over here to uh, to this other computer there for just a second. Um. So what we uh, if we. Most people are aware of the fact that uh, that hurricanes when they typically come into the the area um they come up but they they come from the south and from the east and they come up into the west and to the north and so we actually see that happening here, for example, this is hurricane hurricane Hugo. you can actually see that happening, but most of the time it actually comes up into the into the Gulf coast areas so that the geography that we're talking about we call it the heartland geography. Uh, it's kind of funny because people have tried to make it make uh, issue about it being, being called Heartland, but this is normally and naturally called the Heartland of America. The people who live in these areas call themselves, you know, "This is the Heartland." In fact, there's a truck, there's trucking companies who are from there <laughs> called Heartland Trucking, so forth. So, uh, so I know people have said, "Well, this is a jingo thing or whatever," to try to just play on our heartstrings. No, this is actually accurate to the area. We've this got is, Heartland right Research. We're
2: right. looking all over for Nephite stuff right. all over Ohio.
1: That's right. So uh, so this is the Heartland Model. Now, now the other thing that we, we talked about how we were using the prophecies and promises, identifying the United States of America as the promised land, and then Joseph Smith was consistent with those prophecies. But then we had to look at, really, the archaeology. What kind of archaeology is there that might support this? And this was actually one of the early uh, things that we found here. This is the distribution of what's called the Hopewell mound builders. And there were four major concentrations of their of their uh, earthworks. And this is their culture. So there was one down by Florida on the panhandle of Florida around uh, Tallahassee, Florida. Then there was another one that basically uh, was further up around the Tennessee area. The, this is the very southwestern end of the Appalachian Mountains in that area. And then there was a huge concentration over there on the uh, the uh, Mississippi River on both sides of the Mississippi River. And then there was another concentration just north of the Ohio River. And these are the primary Hopewell interaction sphere. These are the major um, um, archaeological sites in this book. Now, this book is an old, old book with the Indiana Historical Society. And for those of you who are listening to the podcast, basically... It uh, the, this the um, area around uh, Tallahassee, Florida, would be the land of Nephi area. The land, the, the area above that to the north and to a little bit to the west would be basically the Tennessee area or the land of Nephi area. The uh, then you have up in the along the Mississippi River Valley, you have the Zarahemla area, which is the largest of them, and then you have the Ohio River Valley area, which is the land Bountiful area. Now, if you watch, you can actually see that they still have archaeological sites that go all the way up to this place that we call Camorra. And there's archaeological sites up there, and we'll talk more about that in the next uh, next few weeks. So, um, Then if you overlay that map onto a map of the United States, you can actually see uh, kind of what we're talking about here and how this all kind of uh, fits onto a map. Um, these are Mississippian sites. These are later on. adapted from mound builders and quip builders. Of, uh, this is from... Uh, their book there. This is a different one. And then this is a composite of all three of the overlaid maps. If you take a look at it, they all match up pretty amazingly well. Now, this is all clear back in 2009. I was just trying to find just kind of the general lands. And you'll see that there's been major um, you know, improvements and, and more specificity when it comes down to these particular lands and their borders and so forth that have been done and accomplished by Ryan and, and uh Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan Neville and, uh, and, uh, and with the help of Wayne May and many 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 other people who've helped with this, um, this is in Ether. It basically talks about this. Is it interesting? It's about in Ether chapter chapter ten verse twenty. It says that and they built a great city by the narrow neck of land by the place where the sea divides the land. And as I thought about that, I thought, where in Central America do you have a place where the seas divide the land? because down there the land is dividing the seas. Mm -hmm. But here in North America we have seas basically, and also you need to understand that the word for sea in the Hebrew is the same whether it's the Sea of Galilee or the Mediterranean Sea. (laughs) They use the same word. Or the the Dead Sea because basically any body of water is that word. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have a separate word in Hebrew at least to be able to differentiate between different sizes of bodies of water. So they just called everything a sea. Right. So if you understand the Great Lakes, those are would easily be considered a sea, especially if you consider the Sea of Galilee is, you know, is not even a, a drop in the bucket compared to, yeah. like, uh, you know, to Lake Michigan or Lake yeah. Erie or whatever. Um, and so these are, these are massive bodies of water, and they clearly divide the land. So this is a place where the uh, the geography of the Book of Mormon actually makes sense when you have big seas that are dividing the land rather than the other way around. Um, then you have the land of first inheritance. Basically, they, they uh, arrived at the promised land, they did pitch our tents, and we called it the promised land. Um, this happens to be the same continent or this, and, and even the same uh, general area here um, as um as Adam and Eve and and, and their posterity. Basically, they were all in the Heartland area of America. And then, if we go to uh, the land of Nephi, they journeyed many days in the wilderness, and they journeyed to, uh, the space of many days. We pitched our tents, and we called it the land of Nephi. And if you take a look at where I had it down here, it's a little bit low <laughs> from from where we're going to be going here in the next uh, next couple of weeks as we as we as we flesh out this. This was just my first attempt at doing the geography. Then there was the land of Zarahemla, which is basically when uh, when uh, King uh, Mosiah basically left the land of uh, Nephi, went up to the land of Zarahemla, and then they found the Mulekites up there. And uh, so this is also where then later on Alma, the, the elder, actually made his way back to um, the, the land of Zarahemla there. And we know that Zarahemla, that the river Sidon was on the west, or on the east side of the of the city of Zarahemla, but the land and the cities. That's another thing we need to talk about, Ryan. We need to make sure we 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 cover the difference between and why this is important when it says city of versus land of. Right. Um, what is the difference there? And then uh, then 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 later on, as we get then this is the Alma chapter twenty two. And, it, and we're going to get into that in detail, but this is my, my first uh, opportunity to, to kind of flesh that out. And you can kind of see the Lamanite lands, the Nephite lands, and then the you know, land Bannaful, basically the Ohio River Valley. The land of Zarahemla is essentially the Mississippi River Valley with the land of Nephi being up in the Appalachian Mountains, or at least the southern end of that. And so you can see that land of desolation. didn't really know for sure where to put that, but we have that now uh, in more detail. And then later on, uh, talked about desolation, the land, the, the Lamanites and uh, how the Lamanites were basically, the Nephites were nearly surrounded by the Lamanites. And uh, so this, that we're going to get into this a little bit later. This is just showing here the Great Lakes as they are today, the Great Lakes, how they may have been uh, when they were back in that time frame when they were 50 feet higher mm. That uh, that reference I gave you before here was actually talking about this uh, this um, from the pioneer history of the Holland Purchase of Western New York by O. Turner back in 1849. That they talk about that the uh, the, the the remains of the native peoples at that point were almost always 50 feet above mm-hmm. the current lake levels at that point in time, and that and we have the evidence now that shows that there that the lake levels were indeed higher, okay. anciently and created some swamps and so forth, but those actually would extend out. Uh, this is a map I made before we knew about the, the the Great Black Swamp and the Grand Kankakee Marsh, which is something that Ryan actually helped to, uh, to discover. And it's just showing the the, uh, the difference there. And then finally, just the last couple of things. I talked about a narrow neck of land in between there, but wait till you see what uh, Ryan has discovered with, uh, with with Jonathan Neville and so forth here. Um, and then uh, there's a couple of the, the uh, references here in, in Alma chapter 22, and then also in Helaman chapter 4, verse 7, talking about it being a day's journey for a Nephite, or a, or a day and a half journey for a Nephite in another case. Um, a narrow neck of land between basically a West Sea and some point over on the East. And uh, this is again an early guess here, the land of desolation, a generalized map. And when you understand, then we have 10 geographic map anchors back in 2009. I call them map anchors because these are things that were known either by revelation or from Joseph Smith mm-hmm. um, or from the scriptures or also from the DNA analysis and so forth. So there's a, there, you can go through those 10 items there if you'd like to, uh, to uh, stop the, uh, the video for a minute. Talk about a narrow pass and it talked about being a, a land of liberty. And we go into all this is more detail. It's interesting. Also, here in Helaman chapter three, it gives four cardinal directions seas. They said from the sea south to the sea north, from the sea west to the sea east. And uh, this gives an opportunity to kind of see what that might have looked like if you had, you know, if, from the perspective of somebody who was in the heartland of America. These were gigantic seas or bodies of large bodies of water. They actually called them um, that are the Great Lakes that basically break into four cardinal direction seas. Um, we're not going to get into this uh, information about the uh, the earthquakes and so forth. At this point in time, we're going to cover that when we get down to 3rd Nephi. But basically, this also gives us some indication of travel and distance and, and, uh, and things like that. So uh, we're going to talk about that here coming up. If you'd like to get more information about that, I'd advise you to uh to get a hold of the the DVD set and watch the DVD. The the DVD on this is actually about almost 2 hours long just on its own. And uh anyway, so that is um what it, pretty much what I wanted to do. Oh, the the last, last thing though about this though, and that is let me get to this point right here. Um up and down directions. Uh we've already talked about that just briefly. The final destruction sequence, okay? It says, uh, this is from Book of Mormon, chapter one, verse 10. It says, it came to pass that the war began to be among them in the borders of Zarahemla by the waters of Sidon. Um, They had to take Zarahemla because number one, it was their capital city, but number two, once you understand the actual geography, you understand why did they have to take the capital city first because it has to do with what's called the Des Moines Rapids. Mm -hmm. It's the only place that they could cross the Mississippi River on foot At certain times of the year and we'll probably talk about that here as we get going but they needed to take zaryhamla so they could get literally hundreds of thousands of of warriors across the river without having to build you know hundreds of thousands of boats or, or canoes and so they basically would have crossed the river forcing the nephites back into their land bountiful area and then continued to move there they began to retreat towards their north north countries then they finally get down here to Mormon chapter 2, verse 6, and we marched forth and came to the land of Joshua, which was in the borders west by the seashore, which had been up by uh, basically Lake Michigan area. And then they continued, the Lamanites did give us the land northward, yea, even to the narrow passage, which led us to the land southward. And we gave the Lamanites all the land southward. I think it's kind of funny that Lamanites are basically... Uh, really having their uh, <laughs> their their day here with the with the Nephites and yet the Nephites from their perspective, oh and we gave the Lamanites <laughs> that other land. And now, we no, got the best land. Yeah, ah. yeah, the, no, the Lamanites are basically have you in a corner here now. But this is the thing I find is absolutely fascinating. And that is if you know something about chiasms or chiastic structures in the book of Mormon, which is basically You know, concept A, concept B, concept C, then going back to concept C, revisiting that, and then back to concept B and then concept A. It's a first shall be last and last shall be first. If this history is correct, brothers and sisters, what you're seeing here is a historical chiasm where the Book of Mormon events actually start. And if we go back to the screen here for just a second, the Book of Mormon history goes from Zarahemla, and moves in the green direction up to the land Bountiful, and then pushes the Nephites all the way up till they get to the Hill Cumorah, which is where the final stand happened. This is where the Nephite civilization and nation met its end, west to east. And it was from the, from the south and west to the north and the east. But the gospel, as it came forward, basically went the opposite direction, and brothers and sisters, it's on the same sacred lands, starting from the hill Cumorah, where the uh, where the where the record was was removed. Then it started to land Bountiful, basically Ohio River Valley, where the first temple of this dispensation was built, the Kirtland Temple, and then on to the uh, to the Mississippi River Valley, where the Nauvoo Temple was built, right at the same place as the Zarahemla of of the Lord, um, according to the Lord in section one twenty five of the Doctrine and Covenants. I find that absolutely fascinating, that basically God's, God's people and his culture literally go in one direction to the end of that civilization, and then that the next civilization picks up that covenant and moves it back down and restores the gospel, and then ultimately ends up out here in the West. You just can't make things up.
2: I mean, these, it's are, so these beautiful. are amazing things.
1: Yeah. But how many of you knew about the idea that this was a historical chiasm? Or a, or a chaotic structure, it's just, it's awesome. All right, so I it from you. So, uh, so that, Ryan, I can, I'm gonna turn the time over to you because I, I basically want you to kind of take us through um, more detail as to how the Book of Mormon events unfolded on the Promised Land of the United States. Okay, wow.
2: You know, if we talk too fast, he talks 400 words a minute with Gus up to 650. <laughs> That's why we have got all of this material here. Wow, when he gave it to me at first, and I know you brothers and sisters out there, if you've been on a trip with him or at a conference, the guy literally can go till 2 a.m. in a home or 3 a.m. because I've done it with him, okay? There is so much information, and, and he's so he passionate <laughs> and loves it, and I've caught that passion. If you can't get that passion from this, this is exciting. The Book, the Book true. of is true. Yes. It's so cool, isn't it? <laughs> so let's let's go to this general map. He went through very generally, that's in his book. The Book of Mormon, the first, no, this one. Okay.
1: Oh, that's, that yeah, one right, right, right there. Now, okay.
2: It's in there, this will come. Right right okay. this is that good. will come. Okay. But if you look now at my map, I want to give you an overall view of what he talked about, but I want to go a little more specific in some areas, okay? The overview is the first inheritance you see started around Tallahassee to Crystal River. Uh, I like Tallahassee. Wayne May likes Crystal River. They both started around 500 to 600 B.C. Archaeologically it's an, speaking. Ar, yeah. Archaeologically speaking, okay? So that matches pretty much 500 to 600 B.C. for the Lehites, okay? Then from there it went up. Now there's a, a river there in red called the Chattahoochee, and there's one called the Flint, both could have got him up into Tennessee and Georgia, okay. and then okay. before you jump on, um, I, I, I got I, a lot
1: more to go than. Oh, I know, stuff. I know. Well, I just, I just want, I just want to, I just want to tell you though, this is one of the coolest things I thought when Nephi leaves the land of first inheritance, and he goes up in the land of Nephi, and he's reminiscing about his brothers Laman and Lemuel, and he says, you know what, Laman and Lemuel's hearts are hardened just like unto flint. Yep it's very possible that they may have been just recently just had just crossed what is not uh, these gigantic flint beds that basically the flint river is named after and also the chattahoochee it goes over into that area as well and on his tours you'll see them there's
2: flint everywhere it's yes. pretty cool flint ridge yes and then and then just basically you've got alma that goes a little toward the west and then you've got Zarahemla. Bountiful in the North Country, which is, of course, is Camora. Now, I want to compare this to the ancient Hopewell Native Americans. And if you see their routes here, there's the same pattern. They go from down here, and it starts down in the Savannah, down here in, uh, by Tallahassee, where it's the uh, uh, Whedon Creek and some other uh, places where I have found 500 and 600 B.C. pottery, down there that's been verified by anthropologists that go then up into an area that's a little more fruitful. You know, maybe Tennessee, Georgia, you know, has some of this other maybe hiding places because, of course, he was going to get away from the Lehites. So you see the two patterns here are almost identical. And do you know the Hopewell Indians just magically died about 400 A.D.? They look in history, 400, 500 A.D., there's no pottery, there's no sign of anything going on in 400 A.D. What do we know happened? Well, that was the end. That was where the Nephites ended. So that's a pretty neat history. And if you also look here, in the center of Ohio, there's the Ohio Hopewell. There's also the Adena people of Ohio. Now, understanding this, the Adena people lived probably... In history, around 1500 B.C. to maybe three or 400 B.C., and the Hopewell lived about three or 400 B.C., and they overlapped to about 400 A.D. So the Hopewell and the Adena overlapped. They match almost perfectly. Look here in the top right of the video, or of the screen. The early woodland period, the Adena, were 1,000 to 2,000 B.C. The Hopewell, 200 to 500 <coughs> A.D., and then the Jaredites and Nephites are right in there, so I believe if you'll study the Hopewell and the Adena Indians and in culture, you'll see the Hopewell and you'll see the Adena in there. And Wayne may speaks ex- yeah. a lot. So just to clarify,
1: that. so the Adena people basically we are we are saying that the Adena culture is the Jaredites, the Jaredite,
2: yeah,
1: and the Hopewell culture is, is the, the, Nephites. the Nephites. We can actually put them specifically to those two cultures and those cultures then do they match up yeah and the answer to that is oh my goodness you're wait till you see i mean it is absolutely astounding how well they not match up not only in time but in Mm archaeology in the animals and the plants that they have in their cultural traditions and so forth that we know of in even their writing and things like that so uh, we're going to get into and you know
2: what else some people will ask us rod your favorite book here (laughs) They'll ask us on this screen, take a look at where are all the proofs that there were Adina and Hopewell. Are you kidding me? Have you seen the 1894 map of Cyrus Thomas? (laughs) Look at this. Everywhere that's red (laughs) on that map is not a a mound. It's a series of mounds or a a mound site of information. There could be 30 on one of those red dots. There could be 50. There could be two. But look at all the mounds and notice how they're right along the Mississippi and the Ohio River and all the way through there. It's, it's astounding
1: how the, many, bu- many mounds are there, Rod. Well, this, this, this is an interesting <laughs> thing. Let, 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 me, uh, let me point out this book here. So this is called The Illustrated Encyclopedia of Native American Indian Mounds and Earthworks. This is by, uh, by Doctor. Uh, Gregory L. Little. Um, this book came out originally in 2006, then it had an update in about 2013 13. or so. This is, this, this, is this, this newest one with the red here. But basically in this book, and, and it's so funny, brothers and sisters, I've had so many people say, well, the Book of Mormon couldn't have happened in North America because there was no civilization here. Okay. It, just, it really just shows how little people know about this civilization. Because this is actually on page three of the book. And he asked the question, how many mounds are there? And this, is the, this is the question that he gets all the time. He says, the most common question that's asked about mounds is how many exist. In the 1800s, the Smithsonian sponsored many expeditions to identify mound sites across America. A map reproduced here in great, great, greatly reduced form was published by Cyrus Thomas in 1894 in the Bureau of Ethnology book. They found approximately 100,000 mound sites many with complexes containing two to 100 mounds. Uh, The figure of 100,000 mounds once existing based on the Cyrus Thomas map revealing 100,000 sites is often cited by others. But that estimate is far, far too low. After visiting several thousand mounds and reviewing the literature, I am fairly certain that over 1 million mounds once existed, and that perhaps 100,000 still exist. Oddly, some new mound sites are discovered every year by archaeological surveys in remote areas. But in truth, the large majority of America's mounds have been completely destroyed by farming, destruction, or construction, looting, and deliberate total excavation. You know, that sums One up. One million sites. Of this sites. is not a small... Uh, podunkey you know uh, civilization this is a massive civilization that, that sprawled over the entire interior of america and what would feed that massive culture take a look at this map the na-
2: that culture the size of the people would need the biggest river system in the world basically okay or close to look at the mississippi river valley and ohio river valley look at all the pink these are just rivers folks there's no room in here for cities <laughs> These are all rivers. How many rivers are? There? The rivers are the highways of the Nephites.
1: Of all the ancient peoples.
2: Of yeah. all the ancient people. And they would travel a river. Why would they go in the jungle and in the bush when people could follow their trails? Why not use the rivers that dart in and out? Why was Ammon and Limhi, and some others lost in the wilderness. There's rivers everywhere, okay? But look at this set right here, and look at how the head of the River Sidon is right where the Ohio and the Mississippi meet. The New Jerusalem is right there at the Missouri, and Zarahem is right there on the Mississippi, and anything above there are Nephites, and anything below there are Lamanites. That strip of river systems from the Missouri to the Mississippi to the Ohio, to the Allegheny, constitute the narrow strip of wilderness that you will learn about in Jonathan's book, Moroni's America. It's just amazing. This is kind of the overall view of what we're talking about. Now, do you see the different colors there? Those are all different watersheds. They're different geological features. They're different escarpments. They're different uh, divides. You've heard of the Great Continental, continental Divide? Divides, yeah. Well, there's there's two great continental divides in the United States of America. Did you know that? Besides the great the great divide, there's the St. Lawrence Continental Divide and the Eastern Continental Divide, and I'll share with those with you here in a minute.
1: But before before we go on though, let's let's just talk just for a second about rivers because, you know, rivers also anciently formed the boundaries. Um, like yes. the River Jordan was a big deal in, in you know, as a separation point between you know, Israel and, the, and its neighbors and so forth. Yeah. Um, rivers were where were people would congregate around rivers because they needed to have water. Mm-hmm. So almost every ancient city was built at a at a source of water that was every consistent and that ever had settled. clean water that they could know. use. So uh, so rivers is a big big deal. And also, like you said, they, they were used as their transportation system. Especially if you go back east and you see you go off the areas where where it's just wild, you can't get through it. It is so thick, the vegetation is so thick right. and so uh, you know impenetrable basically that it made it very difficult to go across land.
2: So how would they get through those jungles of Mesoamerica? You can't even get through. There's no jungles in North America. There's plenty yeah. of jungles in Mesoamerica. You'd have to hack through a lot of stuff to even walk in there. Well, yeah. Well, the,
1: and the jungles are a little bit different situation yeah. there and, and down, down in, in southern Mexico and so yeah. forth. I mean, I've been down in, there, in those areas, and it's, it's, uh, it's not typically the kind of rainforest jungle that you typically think about when you think of jungle. There's parts of it that are, but yeah. a lot of it is actually lowland jungle, right. which is more... But but the bottom line different is is that, is that the... Um, What we're talking about here is basically the ability to use uh, ships and shipping. In fact, the Book of Mormon specifically talks about that they had shipping. A lot of their, their stuff was done by shipping on the rivers. And And feeding all those people. Look at how much food and fish and agriculture
2: and all that stuff. John Lefkren's a good friend of ours who I'll give a little plug here. He's a PhD, lives in Pennsylvania. He's got a group called Heartland Research. Him and Wayne May are doing a continued Zarahemla search or Zarahemla looking for, Mm -hmm. and they need money. And if you want to help, just go to Zarahemla site dot com. Zarahemla site.com.
1: Well they didn't find what diets. specifically.
2: They're looking for the remnants of, of the Hopewell who are the Zarahemonites, who are the Nephites, <laughs> who are the Adenaites <laughs> on top of the morph mulekites.
1: Yes. They're every type. <laughs>
2: okay? They're all over all North America. Yes, it's wonderful. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. let me let me do this. Let me share with you. I want to shift to one really important thing. The Native American Indians again. I have learned to love them so much. My mother and father met on a mission, the Southwest Indian Mission, of 1950 to 51. Uh, Golden Buchanan was their mission president, and Golden Buchanan was the first one ever to have a Navajo family in their home in the Indian placement program that started there. Oh, yeah. And we've got two wonderful friends, Mike and Betty LaFontaine, who have been now with us fighting for this battle to get the Lamanites, they're just due. They're such special people. Yeah. And yeah, the first will be last, the last will be first. But you know, we Americans... You know, we got rid of some Lamanites. We didn't do very good in what we did. Now that doesn't mean all of us. We were persecuted too as Mormons. The Jews are persecuted, but I believe we believe the Jews and the Native Americans are one and the same people.
1: Interesting. They have it's DNA the connection. people of God.
2: That get That's right. And the Mormons. Look at that connection. I think it's amazing. So look at this map in 1784. Everywhere in green, light green is where. The Indians lived, Native Americans. That little dark green area is where the colonies were. The British came in and so forth, right? And kind of almost forced them out, so to speak, because they were there. You know, they kind of forced the Indians to go west. Well, look in 2018. All of those little orange dots are where the Native Americans are today. Notice how empty it is in the east. I don't know if there's any tribe east of the Mississippi now that well, even yeah. lives well, except the Cattarugas yeah. and the Seneca. There's a few, but not big enough yeah. quality, quantities that are extinct, basically. Wasn't that the
1: prophecy in the Book of Mormon? Well, basically, a couple of things. They the uh, These are talking about the reservations, and the reservations are there, They're, but most of the Native American people who are of those tribes that are back east assimilated into the right. regular population. That's right. And so most of them, like uh Mike and Mike and Betty, you know, Mike is a uh Chippewa a Chippewa and a Navajo. Yeah, and she is an Navajo. and uh but the Chippewas basically in fact uh some people might find this an interesting little tidbit, and that is that the that the term um hillbillies, where did the term hillbillies come from? Which is kind of a, a derogatory term typically of people who lived in the South well, the hillbilly that that word basically came from, because the the uh, Europeans who were coming into the area found the Native Americans so attractive that they intermarried easily with each other. They found the Lamanite women to be beautiful. The men were tall and handsome, and, and so forth. And they and they intermarried very easily. When the Indian Removal Act happened, and they had to basically leave. The, the, native, the native person had the leaf, but they were married to and had families with these Europeans. But the, the, the whole thing was, is that if you're Native American, you got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And so what had happened is they would go up into the mountains in places what they said that even a billy goat wouldn't go, and they would go and hide their families so that they could actually remain together as families, even though they were an interracial uh, marriage going on here. And, uh, and so they started calling them hill bellies." amazing. Because they would go up into the hills um, where, where even the goats wouldn't go. And that's where Mike LaFontaine Fontaine is from. He's a hill yeah. belly. I'm just kidding you. Yeah. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've been watching our podcast, you've yeah. seen Mike and Nancy. Mike, Mike and, Nancy, Mike, Mike, Mike and <laughs> you know, there's Eddie, two of those. La Fontaine. But, uh, but I, I think that that's They're just Florida, a, a fascinating aspect, Florida. I want to point out something else there when you if you can go back to the map there for just a second. Okay, um, basically the, the mail builder people, the Hopewell mail builder people were primarily in the Mississippi and Ohio River Valleys. And we know they were there because we have over 1 million sites that they were there. Mm-hmm. The prophecy was if they ever became unrighteous, that their 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 descendants would be scattered and smitten and nearly destroyed mm-hmm. according to the prophecies. Now take a look at, the, uh, the 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 fact of where these where, where these uh, where these are now
2: yeah look at that
1: there isn't any of these tribes that used to be here and we know from a DNA standpoint that the that the ancestral people to the Native Americans was in fact these Hopewell people because they've sequenced the DNA from the Hopewell people they sequenced the DNA from the current Native Americans they're a match we know that the ancestral people to most of these tribes. In at least in the in the mid in the in the central part of the United States or East even to the, the west, Mississippi, yeah. the Iroquois and the Algonquin are the DNA
2: com- companions with the Sephardic Jews mm-hmm. and
1: others, the yeah. Halo Group X. Yep, exactly. We talk about all that in our in our in our other stuff. But bottom line is is that so the uh, the thing that I find is interesting is that those people have literally been displaced off of their lands. They are no longer on their lands, their ancestral lands. But if you in, instead, if you compare Central America, for example, who had the Mayan area around you know, Guatemala and Belize and, uh, and, and, and southern Mexico, it was the Mayan civilization. And who owns those lands today? It's the Mayan civilization. Bam- They're still on Bam- their scattered. lands. They have been persecuted, no doubt, okay? But they are still on their lands. But the prophecy specifically stated that they would be scattered Ooh, smitten locked, and nearly destroyed. Yeah, yeah. The Mayans are still basically, in fact, the Mayans are pretty much involved with their particular mm-hmm. political culture. But look at where the Native Americans are in, their, in the nation of the United States today. How much political clout, clout do they have?
2: Yeah. Well, and, and all the Mayan in South America, they're all Asian. There's no Hebrew in there. They're all Asian. That's why they came out with this false thing in 2002 saying, oh, Book of Mormon's false because Asians don't have the right name. Well, what about all the Iroquois and the Algonquin who are different? They're tall and slender and strong. They're not (laughs) shorter and smaller like the
1: Asian people. And it's amazing what you find. And the Book of Mormon, how many times in the Book of Mormon do they say, you know, like, like Nephi, he says, I am large in stature. That's right. <laughs> and, and throughout the Book of Mormon, he's large in stature. Helaman, you know, you know uh, Captain Moroni was large in stature. Mormon and Moroni both say that they, they were large in stature. Why are they doing that? Why are they telling us that? Be, well, bottom line, if, if you've ever been down into Central America, and I've been down to, you know, to Chichen Itza and, and, and uh, Tulum and all these different places down in Central America, the native people there, the Mayans, the men barely make it to five feet tall. And the women are usually about four foot something tall. Yeah. They are not in any way, shape, or form compared to any other human well, population think of the Jaredites. large in stature. The
2: Jaredites are seven, eight, nine, ten feet tall. You know, people yeah. say, oh, were there really those skeletons? Yeah, they really are. And the Smithsonian's hiding a lot of them, probably. Yeah. Okay? But there are seven, well, eight, hund- nine foot people. There's hundreds
1: of, uh, of, of uh, um, newspaper articles People who actually dug them up back in the yeah, 1800s and, right. and, and uh, early 1900s uh, who actually took measurements and so forth. Well, there's They're pictures in book huge. about them.
2: And, you know, are we saying base the gospel upon that? No. We're saying, look what's cool. <laughs> this is awesome. This is awesome. Take a look
1: at this and read about it because it's cool. Yeah. When, when people see this, I mean, people get so excited about the Book of Mormon again. It's like... It's like flipping a switch. They get excited about it, and, and we've had so many people. I have, I have binders and binders and binders filled with testimonials from people who have either had their testimony dramatically increased, their faith basically restored in the Book of Mormon as a real history, uh, yeah. to, to people who have actually come into uh, from complete inactivity or even have left the church and have come back into the church yeah. because of finally they said, you know what, there's finally evidence that the foundational document of our religion has hard physical evidence that proves that it, that it actually did happen. Yeah, Let me share this with you. Looking up on this map
2: I've got now, I think there's four or five things that really solidify the Book of Mormon in North America. One being Hill Cumorah. Yeah. I mean, Hill Cumorah, That's without a doubt to us, yeah is the place where the plates were not only found, but it's also the place where the last battles happened. And I can show you on the website where there's over 150 quotes from leaders and prophets that say that.
1: Right. This- and by the way, if, if you want to get more information about the Hillcumorah, uh, I have a d- the DVD. It's called... Um- uh, Kamora, Realistic Archaeological right. Expectations, and so oh, forth. Man. It's a presentation that I was asked to give to the Hill Kimora pageant cast members a couple of years and they ago. they didn't even
2: know they were standing on the Hill Kimora, <laughs> yeah, the they, real yeah. one, a lot of them.
1: Yeah, I, I basically explained to them, when you're doing the, the the pageant, you are literally standing on the exact same hill in real estate that Mormon and Moroni were standing yeah. on as they overlooked the final destruction of their entire civilization. And there was
2: probably 60% of them that went, oh.
1: yeah. Yeah, because because well, there was somebody who was there telling him that this isn't the real Hill right, Kamora, right. the real Hill Kimora is somewhere down in Central America, but we haven't wow. figured out where it is yet because we got That's five, of them. we got five candidates down here, yeah. and the anti-Mormons are having a field day. They're going, you know, and I read <laughs> this article that said one Kamora, two Kamora, three Kamora, four. How many more? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, there's one in Baja. There's Nobody one can the decide. Andes. There's one in well, you there's know. five or six of them just yeah. in Mesoamerica. Right, right. So anyway, so well
2: anyway, so the four things I say, Kamora. Is a big pin on the dot as you look at this map. Yeah. Okay. Then you go down and you have where Zelf was found in Illinois. Yeah. That's big because Joseph Smith said it. And where he wrote the letter 30 miles from there to his wife Emma about wandering over the plains of the Nephites. And then you have where the New Jerusalem is. You have where the Doctrine and Covenants uh, talks about it in DNC 125 of Zarahemla. You have all of these dots that measure up to the fact is the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, but there's physical evidences that help validate that if you want to look and pray about it. We're not saying we know everything. We don't even know that much. Mm-hmm. But we know what we feel and what feels right,
1: you know, and it just feels right. And you can also, like, like we said, and we want to reiterate this, you can also, after you learn about it, ask the Lord. Mm-hmm. Take the Lord literally and say, "You know what, Lord? So I, this is what I'm studying. This is what I think about this. This is kind of how I'm feeling about it. Is that right or not?" Yeah. Now let me take you on a little ride, just briefly,
2: as we look through seven or eight slides here, just to give you context of the vision of what we see as the Nephite and Lamanite territory. Okay. Look in the middle. Of the narrow strip of wilderness. And remember,
1: a lot of people are, are, are also listening to this on podcasts, so they're not okay. seeing it. So there's a like, green
2: part of the uh, on here that's the Ohio, the Mississippi, and the Missouri rivers. That's the narrow strip of wilderness. Anything above that are is Nephite territory. Anything below that is Lamanite territory. So basically, the Ohio River is one of the key areas, with the head of the river Sidon being right there at the Ohio and Mississippi.
1: So we, we're going to talk about that for just a second, the head of the river, because most people have, have yeah, had but the I'm impression. Get,
2: I'm giving them the overview and then I'm going to those okay, specific. Okay, okay, so, right. but that's fine, but I'm trying to yeah. get those so that we can specific. Because a lot of cool. people are
1: going to question, well, wait a minute, the head of the river I, isn't where. Oh, it, go ahead and say it now. You're already there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, basically the head of the river, um, if you look back, most people assume that that means where the river begins. It's, it's, it's place of origin, right? But if you actually go back to Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary and you look up the word head, besides that big bulb thing that sits on the top of your shoulders. Only <laughs> it, yours. It, it also gives some other definitions as it relates to rivers. And one of those is, uh, it, said, it said sea conflux. I said, well, what is a conflux? So I looked up the word conflux. It says sea confluence. And so basically it says the confluence is, you know, the, is the juncture of more, one or more uh, rivers that come together, and it gives two examples of a confluence, confluence or conflux, which is also called a head in the 1828 uh, Noah Webster's Dictionary, and it gives two examples. It says like the Tigris and the Euphrates, or the Ohio and the Mississippi. There's the two worlds and we know that, uh, that throughout the Book of Mormon, and we're talking about this just briefly too, they talk about the head. Um, they talk about, for example, that the, the Nephites did head the armies of the Lamanites or they did head the, the, the flocks of the king. We're going to you know, get into that here in Alma about uh, you know, King Lamoni and so forth and Ammon and uh, basically when it says that they were heading the flocks or heading the armies that doesn't mean that they're going to go to the place where they started from mm-hmm. it means that they're going to take a trajectory so that they will actually intersect mm-hmm. with them mm-hmm. and be able to get around in front of them yeah. or to or, or, you know kind of flanking them it just makes sense and so if that's the case then the head is a place where things intersect mm-hmm. and if that's the case then you have the intersection between the Ohio River Valley or the, the Ohio River and the Mississippi River and that intersection becomes the place of, the, of the, the head of the river, which all of a sudden now makes sense when you have, that. there's a scripture that talks about the Lamanites were afraid to, uh, to take on the city of, ne- of Zarahemla, that neither durst they uh, you know, cross the head of River Sidon. Well, why would they be afraid to cross the head of the River Sidon if it was some you know, small stream where the origins of some small river?
2: And do you know why people can't name a city around Ohio and the Mississippi where they, that you can't name a city hardly within a few miles? Because I'm sure it was big. I'm sure it was all the with water. Like, you couldn't live close to It floods to almost there. every year This yeah. now. There's Paducah, Kentucky over there. And there's St. Louis, some 20, 30 miles, 40 miles north. Yeah. But nothing right there. That head of river must have been humongous.
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: So as you look at the Book of Mormon geography then on this next map, just quickly going through it, we've got Lehi going up to Tennessee. Lehi going in Florida up to Tennessee, Mosiah leaving there and going up to Iowa, Missouri with a stop in between of Alma that we'll talk about here in just a minute. That'll be close to kind of like Memphis, Tennessee, almost over toward more towards the Mississippi River. So as you look at this group of colors on this map, everything in green, which is below the Ohio River, is the land of Lehi-Nephi or the land Lehi or the land Nephi or the land of first inheritance. Okay, it's not a city of, it's the land of. Now, there is the city Lehi, the city Mm Lehi-Nephi, and other cities, but there's also the land of Nephi, the land of Lehi.
1: Which is the broader context of the region. Right, so you've
2: got to remember that. And then along the Ohio and Missouri River north of there, you've got the land Zarahemla and the land Bountiful. Around both sides. And I've brought it but down Zarahemla to, to a, the west, Land Bountiful to the east. Yeah, thank you. And so I've brought it kind of to a point where I think it very easily could have split the Land Bountiful with the Land Zarahemla based upon the geology, the geography, the rivers, and the watersheds that I want to show you later. I think it was probably the Wabash River. I think east of the Wabash River was the Land Bountiful and west of it was the Land Zarahemla with some some water drainage areas right there that become really important now on this map you're looking at do you see on the far right in pink the dotted line that goes from top up by hill Cumora, all the way down to the bottom by florida that's what's called the eastern continental divide that means water drops on that divide it goes right through atlanta It flows, water goes on that divide, it either flows to the east or to the west. It's a continental divide right through Atlanta. And it goes all the way up to Pennsylvania, a place called Gold, Pennsylvania. And at Gold, Pennsylvania, is called a triple gap. Gold, Pennsylvania sits just a few miles south of New York where New York and Pennsylvania connect that I'll show you. And there's three rivers that connect to that triple divide. You've got the Susquehanna that goes to the Atlantic. You've got the Genesee that goes north to Lake Erie. And you've got the Allegheny, which goes to the Gulf of Mexico. What better place? The Indians called that the Forbidden Path. No whites were allowed there because it was such a beautiful buffer zone and beautiful place where you could live, eat, hunt, and go on any river, whichever three directions you want to go at any time. That's where the Continental Divide of the Eastern bisects with the St. Lawrence Continental Divide at Gold, Pennsylvania. The Triple Divide. And it's a critical place that I'll explain in a minute. If you'll go to Ether chapter 1, verse 1 that Rod already talked about, he's Moroni talking about writing from the north country. I think it's easy to say the north country is up by Moroni. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, up by Camorra, where Moroni lived, up in that area. So he's riding up the north country. Now, is Zarahemla directly south of there? No, but it's, it's southwest of there. And I don't think they were so picky on, I think, based upon the position you're standing is based upon what they said, north or south or east or west.
1: You could be from standing down here, in other words. Yeah.
2: yeah. Or you could be standing down here and it's totally different based upon the perspective you're standing in. It doesn't have to be a noun. It doesn't have to be like this is the city north or north
1: city or whatever. And when, and they, then, when they say north, a lot of times they say northward right. and so forth because it's Towards. kind of a general idea, not necessarily exactly true north.
2: Exactly. Now, people ask me this they say, look at Helaman 4 7 for a minute. This is really interesting. Rod mentioned this earlier. And they did fortify against the Lamanites from the West Sea. Now, look over here at the West Sea, which I believe is Lake Michigan. And you see that glob of water below Lake Michigan? That's called the Grand, Grand Kankakee Swamp. That was there. That was the, the Everglades of the North called mm-hmm. early. Birds, reptiles, right? It covered Chicago. Yeah, It was beautiful. Yep. Okay, that's the West Sea, and then Helaman continues saying, even unto the east. Now, it doesn't say East Sea, it says even to the east, where...
1: Some point to the east.
2: There's a day's journey for a Nephite on the line. Now, this I think is really cool. From the West Sea, Lake Michigan, to the east, which is this area called Niagara Falls, to the Neck. Okay, it's kind of Niagara Falls kind of blocking it off there, and the West Sea's kind of blocking you it mentioned, off. You mentioned the neck. What? And in the Onondaga language, neck means Ni- narrow. Ni- yeah. Well, what Niagara. Means, Niagara means, yeah. means narrow. Yeah. Or it means great falls. There's a, a couple of words that it means, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. But I think the line northward to southward is seeing this yellow area up by Lake Erie, Down to the Allegheny River is a day's journey for a Nephite. It's 44 miles to go from the land northward to the land southward. Everything south of the Allegheny River is the land south. Everything north of the Allegheny River up to Lake Erie is the land north. And that becomes the area of a day for a Nephite. And I've got another one that's a day and a half for a Nephite that you, I'll share did, with did you.
1: Did you talk about the extension there of um, the the Sea South? Not yet. I haven't got to that okay, yet. Okay. Right. There's so much to go. Well, but, yeah, but before you leave that that slide, though, you're showing it there in that slide. Um, just really quickly, what do you think? Well, about, I, do you want to talk want, about that now or not yet? Not yet okay there's there's
2: so, much, <laughs> there's so much to go through here man because I, I
1: tell you right. that the, the one question that everybody seems to have if it happened in north america where's the narrow neck of land
2: yeah we're coming
1: and uh and, that, talked and that's about that once I, yeah i know we, we did okay. we did but that but that was but well, that let was, me talk uh, that about it general. too okay. you take all, right. all the good all right. stuff well that's why i wanted you to go into the specifics on that But you talked about the Grand Kankakee Marsh. Yeah, well, that's not even close to the narrow neck of land.
2: It is close to the narrow neck. Okay, all right. But people don't realize there are three necks, just so you know. There's Hueys, there's Louis, and there's Deweys. No, (laughs) there's three necks in the Book of Mormon. There's the small neck of land, which is different than the narrow neck, which is different than the narrow neck of land, which is different than the narrow strip of wilderness, which is different than the line fortified, which is different than the line bountiful, which is different than the narrow pass, which is different than the narrow passage. Get my point? There's like 10 of these.
1: All different things. They're named differently. Yes.
2: That I can show you on a map like this. That's pretty (laughs) cool. Okay. And... I'll maybe have time to walk you, you want through to hold this. Hold that while
1: you if you want. to. But
2: no, out. not let's Okay. All right. Let's go through the slides. Right, okay. I don't have to hold something. So here's an overview for you folks. This will tell you every neck narrow whatever where we feel makes sense that these things happened, narrow places. And you can get this. Just just get, send me an email. I'll give you this free. I'll just send a copy to you a PDF of it. Okay? Ryan Nelson at AOL.com. Okay, Ryan, R-I-A-N, Ryan Nelson at com, and you can get one of these maps. But I want you to understand the directions of the Nephites, like Rod and, and I talked about earlier, if you're standing in the blue area, and Lake Erie is going to be a different place than Lake Ontario. If you're in the orange land, it's going to be different, the lake further south, down. Yeah. You know, you've got over here by in the yellow where we think it's very plausible that just below the head of the river Sidon is what was called the Sea West South, which is the Mississippi River right below the head of the river Sidon. And Lake Michigan could very easily be the West Sea North. So as you're reading the Book of Mormon, try to get an understanding of where we're talking about in relationship to where that person is standing. I'm going through here, Alma twenty two twenty seven that we'll be going through in more detail, but I just touched on that fact right here. You bet. Let's get back to this. We, we believe Lehi landed in Florida. Where do we think Mulek landed? Well, it's possible Mulek could have landed up by the St. Lawrence Seaway that he could have come over that way. The waters are not going the best way, and the winds are not the best up there, but I know Wayne May really likes that. So I put a lot of credence on the fact that Wayne May believes something because he knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay? But I think after reading Moroni's America, I feel more apt to probably say that Mulek landed at the Mississippi River, which was 400 miles from where Lehi landed, at the Chattahoochee or the Appalachia, Essentially New Orleans,
1: New Orleans today.
2: Yeah, which is New Orleans. So if you look on the map, the the pink is starting at Appalachicola by Tallahassee, Florida, and it goes all the way north up to this green area that I call the City Nephi. That's the Unicoi Gap area. That's another, remember the triple divide I said where three rivers flow out? This is a double divide. And a little bit of a triple one with the Susquehanna This is further further south. This is in Tennessee. Right. This is in Tennessee area. Yeah. But Mulek, I believe, because in Omni chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, it says that the Mulekites stayed where they were found. In other words, when Mosiah found them, where they landed. They were found where they landed. So if that's true, they landed, we believe, in Zarahemla right by the Des Moines River Rapids, because they had to get off there.
1: Okay, do you want yes, to now try just, hear playing that really quickly? Bad. So basically, if you if you are taking a look at the Mississippi River Valley, or excuse me, the Mississippi River, and you start from New Orleans, you can basically, back in the, back in the 1800s when they had riverboats, riverboats could actually go all the way from New Orleans and go all the way up past St. Louis and all the way up to this place called the Des Moines Rapids, which just happens to be at a place called a city that was named Commerce originally. That city later became known as Nauvoo. But the reason why the river boats could only get up that far is because there was a broad limestone shelf. The river up above that at, at Fort Madison and down below that at Keokuk uh, was about 2,500 feet wide. But then in the um, when they, uh, with it, as it came south, right as it goes around the uh, Nauvoo area, it widened out to 4,500 feet wide which is also we have accounts where uh, people in Joseph Smith's day actually rode their horses across the river there because the mean depth of the river there was 2.3 feet deep, barely up to my knees, basically, is how deep the mean depth of the river was And you
2: hold that thought. But Robert E. Lee, Mm -hmm. we have to thank for helping us find Zarahemla. You asked John (laughs) Lefteran and Wayne May. They'll tell you that Robert E. Lee helped us find Zarahemla because Robert E. Lee, just three years before the the prophet went through that area, he had completed a survey map uh-huh. of over fifteen thousand soundings, which are specific points. Mm-hmm. And he showed a place where you can cross from Nauvoo over to Zarahemla by walking. Three or four different places, and we're looking in that area for that proof, ZarahemlaSite.com, dot com mm-hmm.
1: to help donate to that. Okay. In fact, in fact, the river was so shallow that they couldn't get the river boats, which only needed about six feet of depth. I mean, that's why they call it Mark Twain because they they would take a stick and they would stick it down in the river. um that that's where his name came from, actually Mark Twain. He was Samuel Clemens was was. His his real, real name. name, yeah. And then he changed his name, or had, his pen name was Mark Twain because he was a riverboat, uh, worked on the riverboats basically, and they would have a big stick. And they'd stick it down. and, and it, Oh, for it the was, sounding marks. If it was two yards tall, if they could stick it down that far, that's how deep the, the riverboats were. So at about six feet of draft is what they would, had to have in order to make it up there. And that rapid didn't have six feet. There was nowhere they could cross. Later on, they decided they were going to actually, you know, dynamite a, a, a path through that that limestone shelf that goes across there by Nauvoo, which also, by the way, made it that a swampy area. <laughs> That's why Nauvoo was a swamp. Yeah. They had to cut through that and drain the swamps to get it out. Right. Well, the bottom line is, is that that also created a uh, opportunity for the Saints because when the when the river boats came up to Keokuk, they would offload, and then the uh, the on the Iowa side, they had to go clear around the bend of the river. But if they instead were on the Nauvoo side, actually cut off about 10 or 15 miles of travel and they could actually do it cheaper and, and, and move the goods from the riverboat there in, in Keokuk up to Fort Madison. They could put it on another riverboat. They could go another 180 miles further up the, up the river. But that place was the place where they couldn't get across, which makes it the most likely location for commerce to happen anciently. This is the place where they could cross the river without having to take boats across it. Alma
2: chapter 2, you have to read it. It's where the Lamanites and Nephites fought in the river Sidon, threw the dead bodies in there, and got back and forth the river. And it was right around Zarahemla and Nauvoo, brothers and sisters. You look at Alma chapter 2, there's somebody that knows a lot about this. It's Jenny and Wilson Curley. Yes, And they live in Nauvoo, Nauvoo, and they have 13 to 15 mounds on their property that they own. Burial mounds. Burial mounds, Hopewell, that are amazing. And they have had some experiences on those mounds that are absolutely true. Yeah. breath. There's some cool stuff. The curlies, you'll want to meet them. And if you ever go through Nauvoo... You call me, I'll give you <laughs> Curly's phone number. They would be happy to take yeah. you
1: through. And also I want to just point out another thing that we had in hidden, hidden in the Heartland TV series with, uh, with Kells Goodman is that uh, years, about 10, 12 years ago, the Community of Christ was putting in, putting a new electrical service into the Red Brick Store. And if you know about Nauvoo, if you know that area basically, um, Nauvoo has – you have the Red Brick Store and you have the Smith Family Cemetery. Between there is just this little – Patch of, of, of ground there a Little Cemetery And it's a, it's a Well <laughs> Yeah well That that was actually Just a uh, just a piece of grass Yeah <laughs> While they were Digging this up With a big trencher mm-hmm. As they got the trencher In the ground All of a sudden Human bones start coming out And so they stopped And they said Well we got to do A quick archaeological Work on right. this thing Which they did They did a salvage a Dig basically They call that And what they found Was amazing Because what they found Brothers and sisters Was that there was Ancient people who had been buried there, and they found artifacts associated with the particular bones. And these specific artifacts were these effigy pipes, which the Hopo mound builder people were known as. That, that's a, it's a, a, an item that's specific to them. So like we a know. turtle
2: or a wolf or owls or, or owl animals or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And they were
1: in the shape of their pipe, and they were yeah. found. They're cool. Yeah. And so they found a couple of these pipes, so they know that they were Mound builder people. There's at least twenty-five of them that are buried right there. And so it turns out, this is kind of an interesting thing. I think you'll like this, um, brothers and sisters. It turns out that uh, the Smith family cemetery has Joseph and Hiram and Emma and and Lucy Mac Smith and, uh, and and you know Joseph Smith Senior and so forth, and their families are buried there. Turns out that the Smith family cemetery is literally in a Nephite cemetery on the banks of the River Sidon.
2: And there has been archaeological finds that are dated to the Book of Mormon times. And yes, we do know where they are. It's amazing. Talk to the Curlies. Dig Nauvoo. That's why I wanted to point this out. I got my
1: shirt on today. And also...
2: There's Cal Christensen, who knows all about the Little Cemetery. And isn't that turtle-shaped, too, on top of the well, Little that's Cemetery that's over on mound? the other side of the on river.
1: On Keokuk. Yeah, that's yeah. over on the Keokuk There's
2: side, so yeah. much over there, folks. I mean, Nauvoo is right in the center of it all. If if Kamora <laughs> is the center of destruction, Nauvoo is the center of commerce. Yes. We don't make these things up. They just kind of tie in. It yeah. just feels right.
1: You yeah, know? Ryan mentioned the Little Mound Cemetery, which, by the way, it's, it's smaller than the Big Mound Cemetery, which is, which is right next to the, the Des Moines River. Mm-hmm. But Little Mound Cemetery, brothers and sisters, it sits in this open cornfield. It's over 500 feet long, about 35 feet tall, and about 120 feet wide. This is a massive human-made earthwork that's in the shape of a turtle.
2: Yeah. but but there weren't any people in north america they're all down in south america <laughs> there weren't that many people there
1: wasn't right? any civilization no or civilization. culture up here yeah this is there's nothing here right so i we we throw in digs occasionally because it's
2: fun you know we love them don't we we love those guys but if they had to refute every one of these things which they do they have good a good book to, yes. yeah. to write about yeah. that wouldn't they yep. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast. If you like this Come Follow Me supplemental study, click the like button and share it with your friends. Be sure to go to bookofmormonevidence.org, which is a hub with all the links that you would like to the podcasts, to upcoming events, the store, at the 400 answers to the Book of Mormon. It might be fun family night to go over the 400 questions and answers. Visit Ryan's blog at www.bofm. B of M blog. Our streaming site now has over a hundred new videos from our Virtual Expo Book of Mormon